Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A following IndyCar at Mid-Ohio. Doing something a little bit different this week. Finally put out the call for questions on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page. Would definitely urge you, if you are a Facebook person, to find the MP Podcast Facebook page and follow, join, or I don't know, whatever you click there. Uh, play along. It's often, if not always, the place where I post podcasts first and on occasion also just go straight to that little Facebook community to get questions for shows. So not a bad idea there. Doing a shorter, less intensive show this week. Some of you may know that uh, just got back from vacation with my wife, our very first in three years and i'm actually still meant to be on vacation through the end of the weekend but i had a couple of workish things pop up kind of knew they were coming but i had to come into the office here so decided to say hey send in some questions i'll get to as many as i can in the uh, amount of time that i dedicate to things and then we'll rock and roll and get back to normal next week uh, 44 items submitted here on Facebook, which is, uh, yeah, a short notice and B it's about half of what we've been getting of late. And I have to admit it's kind of sort of exactly what I was hoping for. Not too many say thank you as always to you for the great questions that you send in while I won't be getting to all of the 44 submissions. I will be scrolling through and picking the ones that I like and just going from there. So thanks for sending those in. As always, we want to say thank you to Cooper Tires for their ongoing support of what we do. It was great to see Mid-Ohio dressed up in Cooper Tires logos and branding last weekend. Awesome road to Indy weekend with a bunch of great work being put in by some definite young stars who will be working their way towards IndyCar. The Justice Brothers, huge thank you to them as always for supporting everything we do and for just being great folks and friends for a really long time. And TorontoMotorsports.com, who are there at Mid-Ohio with their lovely merchandise trailer. Many of you got to meet Derek Koska for the first time. Our uh, newest member of the Day listener group, uh, Alex Pillow. <laughs> true he is actually did actually join the listener group uh, he's been listening for a while back since he was racing in japan according to him uh had a little meetup. i saw some uh, fun photos with alex uh, jeremiah the morell he uh mr and mrs morell uh joey from barstool sports who i've never met but i was told he was in the photo and some other uh members of that group so just fun to see some fun happening there. Jeremiah also sent a photo where he and uh, uh, Zach Burcham and some other members of the Day caught up with James Hinchcliffe uh, in their campsite and extended some of the Cartoon Anvil protection stickers I asked to be deployed for all the drivers who needed them. I still need to check with Hinch to see if he put his inside the car. Based on how lap one went for our friend, the mayor of Hinchtown, I got to wonder. I'm not saying those stickers are are guarantee that you'll avoid the cartoon anvil, but it it would seem like it might not have either been applied or it might have flown out before lap one. I don't know. Uh, Things didn't go 
super well there. Last little note before we get into your questions. Continuing to update the uh, Marshall Pruitt Podcast merchandise page. Just had some really awesome shirts arrive for uh, for me to post. These are some uh, definite IndyCar, NASCAR, and even Formula One uh, vintage crew shirts. Some of them, maybe all of them, dating back to the 90s. So uh, those just arrived from a very kind listener who said, hey, uh, you're, I think you should take these and post them and hopefully someone buys them and that helps. Um, after that, uh, what else is going up there? Got a new sticker or two, got a ton of other stuff to post. So if you get a chance, Marshall Pruitt Podcast and our new merchandise page. And by our, I mean mine. I don't know why I do that weird driver thing of saying we when it's just I. Um, check it out. You might find some stuff that you like to take home. Uh, some of you ask how y'all can help my wife and I, and this is a great way to do it. So if you find some stuff there that you like, awesome. If not, no worries, but lots more to go up. So what are we going to do to start well, I figure there are a couple questions here about my man, Robin Miller. There was a bit of a, a news notification item that went up on Racer yesterday that would have been on Wednesday about Robin needing to step back and note without going into details about his health and this being a health-related change for robin and there are a couple couple items here uh don't have them immediately in front of me but i know that there again there are a couple of folks wanting to know uh about robin what's going on or just simply extending well wishes to him so also had a bunch of you send really nice notes hoping that my wife and i had a uh, nice mini vacation for her birthday which we did so that definitely recharged our souls. Uh, let me speak about Robin for a moment. And instead of pivoting off of a specific question, I'll just go into a little bit here. So Robin has been sick for a few years now. I remember the first visible instance of it. Would have been, what was the last year we were at Watkins Glen for IndyCar? Was that 2017, maybe? Um, we were there. And he and I were, you know, sitting next to each other as we normally do. And he was just absolutely wiped out. I mean, just to the point of he really shouldn't have even been there. And I could be wrong. It might have even been 2016 as the last race, whatever it was. But he was just, I've never seen him so ill. And 0% energy said it felt like the worst cold flu or whatever you want to call it of his life. And I'll tell you, between taking a really, you know, as much time as he could, a really long time, um, to come in in the morning because he tried to rest, but it wasn't necessarily working too well. Obviously, he had NBC duties, but also a little bit of racer reporting duties too. Uh, he'd come in as late as he could, 
do what he was able to, which wasn't much, which was a surprise. And the other thing that was just very obvious, this was just different. Uh, He spent a lot of the time in the media center, just head down on the desk, chair scooted back a bit, you know, sitting but laying almost as flat as he could. And that went on for hours and hours. And with his description of everything that he was feeling, there was no obvious answer as to what was going on, but it was clear that it was taking a huge toll on him. In the years that have followed, these are all things that he shared, so I'm not divulging anything secret. He's gone through a bunch of medical procedures over and over and over again, tried a lot of different things, continues to and has. I would say this year without really sharing a ton about it. And I just mentioned this because part of my instincts as a reporter, which I'm sure is common to just about every reporter, whether it is a professional sensibility or even a personal sensibility, we want to report. We want to tell you things. We want to give you the inside scoop analyze it, uh, all kinds of things, talking about the stuff we do for a living, uh, talking about our personal lives. It's a, again, it's a, it's a thing. Part of that too, which you guys know, I'm, I'm just overstating the obvious, but it is relevant here to Robin. Part of this is also not reporting, and that's the tough part. No tears are needed. This isn't a oh, woe is me thing, but sitting on things, not reporting things that you know, it's equally as important and just as much as part of the profession as that innate desire to tweet and write and video and do all kinds of things to keep you up to speed. Perfect recent example, put out the first silly season story of the year leading into mid-Ohio, had mentioned that Ryan hunter Ray likely to be on a farewell tour, likely to have some changes coming, et cetera, et cetera. These are things that I've known since late last year. Like it's, and I'm not saying that in any kind of self-referential way. It's just saying that some things you sit on because, They don't need to be out at that time. There might be a better timing for it, or in some cases, there are things that never come to light. With Robin, what he's been going through, had a lot of folks send me a lot of inquiries about him this year, since we haven't really seen him on any, I believe, of the NBC broadcasts. And his contributions to Racer have not been as frequent whether it is phone calls, uh, which I've received, texts, DMs, emails, you name it. A lot of folks that care about him, a lot of folks that want to know, even some who I would say are, are, you know, pretty friendly with Robin. Just been a case where, even now, uh, he said, hey, keep the details to yourself. 
That's exactly what is happening. There's been a really heartwarming thing to see since the update yesterday, and that was how many people wanted to connect with Robin and whether it's share well wishes or just share what he has means or continues to mean to them. And so Racer was good enough to create a dedicated email address for that. Um, and I have loved seeing and just hearing that, boy, that is being used very heavily, almost to a, uh, almost to an overwhelming standpoint. And I love it. Just love it, love it, love it. So I'd love to give you the details of what Robin is going through and all kinds of things. It is simply not correct to do so because in this instance he has said that's something that I want to hold on to, and he is. Don't take what I've just shared with you in an ominous way. Like there's big secret diagnosis that's being held. It's not at all. Uh, I'm not saying whether anything's good or bad. I'm just saying don't take my sharing of this and saying his news is something he's keeping for himself and has asked his friends and colleagues to do the same as being an indicator of anything. It's just someone who's wanting to keep control over his life and information, and I would imagine uh, the points of communication that come in. <laughs> because for some of you who don't know, Robin's a little cranky sometimes and a little finicky. And boy, uh, being put in a situation where he is not happy and not in control of the things that come into his life, oh boy, that's uh, that's an interesting and fun Interaction. I've been on the receiving end of a couple of those uh, when he didn't like something that I did or tried to do or offered or said. And yeah, so uh, it's great that Racer has set up that uh, that email address for him. Let me see if I can find it here quickly. And I apologize for the little delay. If I was better at my job, I'd have it just sitting here ready to go. Um, it is. Let's see. Robin messages that is plural, not singular Robin messages at racer.com. So if you want to send anything to him saying, whatever, uh, Hey, you still owe me 20 bucks, whatever, send it to him. The fun thing about this, it's entirely his own decision as to whether he goes in and reads some all or none. Um, so I think that's the main reason why he said, Hey, keep things on the down low. You know, we need to share that I need to step back and focus on improving my health, but let's keep everything else a little bit quiet so I don't get blown up with messages. He didn't say that last part is implied. So uh, that's just a little update wanted to share here. Uh, boy, yeah. So I've <sighs> been thinking about him praying, doing all the things that my wife and I know to do uh, for years now, obviously, uh, definitely more and more this year as he's just had to take a, uh, a greater step back, progressive step backs, I should say. Um, and so we're just going to continue to hold him in prayer as many of you do for my wife and I, 
you know, I don't need them so much, but my wife for sure. And uh, again, I always try and be as uh, transparent as I can with you all, knowing that I can't always share everything with you. The, the same wanting to share everything certainly applies with me and on the home front. There's a lot of stuff that I just do not share by or through intent. Most of it at my wife's uh, direct uh, request would be a funny word to use. Um, Directive. Uh, There's a lot of stuff that goes on every day, every week that, boy, I'd love to share our full experience with you. There's a ton of stuff that goes on that uh, hasn't changed, hasn't gotten any easier. Uh, I don't know if anything's anything has gotten harder over the last two years plus since uh, been home and we've been here together taking care of her. But um, same thing, uh, try and give you all that we can, uh, just not always able to. So hopefully that is something that can be understood or forgiven or I don't know what. So let's go to a more specific question here. Uh, let me find this one as well. And this is going to be a little more of a let me hunt around and find show again. So I apologize. It's I told uh, our pal Jim Kaiser who puts together the questions each week to just take the week off as well. And I'll hunt around and find things that uh, that jump out for consideration. Um, let's see. Uh, I think we'll go with Steve Grinstead. You're asking about Mid-Ohio. Curious who it was. You're forgetting it was alex ander rossi who had a decent race for a change said uh forget who it was but the mandated air scoop and vent was missing um should they get penalized um that's a really interesting question here um why would someone be penalized if something broke off uh their car in a race if that's the case since everything else is mandated right every part and piece on the car steve is mandated um someone gets hit from behind and a small piece of the diffuser falls off or a chunk of this falls off or someone rear ends someone and the nose the spec nose hashtag front nose uh the spec nose is deformed in some way well let's i mean let's just follow the same line of thinking my friend all of these items are mandated they're not allowed to be modified in any way so if we're going to penalize someone for an air scoop breaking off falling off whatever happened then i guess we penalize every single driver whose car is modified in any way. That's the rabbit hole we'd wander down, Steve. Bouncing around here, Amanda Bauer. How you doing, Amanda? Says, no questions, just thoughts and hope for Robin, and so very happy that you and Chabrell could have a real vacation. Thank you, Amanda. Uh, since we've gotten home, all we've wanted to do is go back, but uh, I don't. Yeah, we'd have to start selling kidneys for that to be possible. Uh, Andrew Miller. Likelihood of seeing Antonio Felix DaCosta showing up in the third Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan car after Formula E wraps and before the season's end. I don't know. I haven't heard anything about it. 
We know that uh, Antonio is certainly a quick driver. Um, based on everything Santino Ferrucci has done so far, I would struggle to get fired up for someone like Antonio, who, again, I think while testing, doing one test day, uh, still would have a lot to learn, but nothing against it, to be honest. Uh, let's see, where do we go? Uh, Andrew Miller says the Meyer Shank team seems to think one of these Hail Mary strategy calls will eventually work. Seems unlikely. Jack Harvey must be getting frustrated. Well, Andrew, if this were coming in, uh, and I appreciate you sending in the two questions in a row here, uh, if this were to come in as a question last week after Road America, I would say yes, 100%. Coming out of mid-Ohio, though, where the team really didn't have much choice uh, to do anything other than go for something wacky and different in terms of strategy if they wanted to have any hope of improving their starting position. I mean, that's 100% Jack's fault, right? He half spun the car, stalled, brought out yellow flags, uh, impeded the overall progress of qualifying and a couple of drivers. Not being harsh against Jack, he's not a guy known for making a lot of mistakes, but Mid-Ohio is 100% on him. Uh, as a result, what did he start? 23rd, 24th, way back. And what do you do at your home race with all your family and friends and sponsors there? You got to go for something different. And, you know, it, it wasn't in vain, I guess you could say, right? Uh, if you look at having to start at effectively the back of the grid to get up to 19th position, you know, again, nothing like, yay, amazing, keeping in mind that we had a couple of cars hit each other and go laps down and all kinds of other not great stuff. You know, it wasn't so much a charge forward to 19th, definitely helped by some adversity suffered elsewhere. But as I wrote about in my cool-down lap column on Racer, this was a perfect representation of how slim, how thin, whatever you want to call it, the uh, the margins are of being perfect, near perfect, and being slightly off from that one mistake in qualifying where he looked ready to go charging through and possibly make the Firestone Fast 6. From that one mistake, weekend ruined. So, yeah, but this one, having to go to the alternate strategery, uh, Jack has to own that without his spin, not even a need or consideration. Uh, Dennis Klooper. Hey, Dennis, I think I pronounced your last name correct. If not, uh, send me a, something and yell at me and tell me how to do it correctly. It says, please put my mind at ease. The organizers of Nashville uh, have plans for temporary catch fencing along both sides of the bridge crossing the water. Surely? I hope not. That wouldn't be fun, right? Got to make drivers put on their, their full suit, uh, a wetsuit beneath it, and floaties on their arm, the little arm floaties. I mean, come on. Looking forward to getting this answer uh, and more. And I would say we would expect there to be adequate safety measures to prevent such things. But I'm looking forward to getting the full scoop 
hopefully specifically for y'all uh, here in the podcast. I'll also spin that out into a one of them word stories, but to speak with my pal Tony Cotman, who designed the circuit. So hoping to get that organized for next week. And this is certainly going to be one aspect of the conversation, Dennis, that I can't wait to get some more insights about. Um, uh, Jamie and Jiffy Bethay. How you doing, guys? So just want to give Elio a shout-out for resisting the urge to channel his inner Fred Sanford uh, and not give Scott Speed five across his lips. Uh, says, hope you and Chabrell had a relaxing and much-deserved vacation. So I didn't see the SRX race Saturday night, unfortunately. I uh, did have a call from our pal, Mr. William Theodore Ribs, earlier this morning to talk about things a little bit um, and something else entirely different. But uh, now I maybe need to go find that replay and uh, take a look. Uh, let's see. Andreas Eck. Says MP, thanks for the great podcast. Hope you had a nice holiday. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate the overstatement about my dumb podcast. Uh, he says, from a, a Swede's perspective, and we drink uh, hashtag Fox Piss, so please don't judge me. Uh, what's the deal with the ovals in the U.S.? Uh, is it so fantastic with a short track uh, roller coaster that a lot of the IndyCar Facebook groups moan about? Uh, there must be more ovals, uh, and there's too few ovals this year. He says, I remember when. Uh, the comeback of the ovals uh, and whatnot was on. He says, please explain to a non-U.S. person what's the point and why is it so fantastic. Says Indy 500, I understand. Love to watch, but the short ones don't get it at all. Um, you got some other items here. Uh, I will uh, just take the main item. It's the same question that gets asked by folks who don't fully understand the appeal of Sports that are, are regional, I guess. I know that's an obvious statement, Andreas. I grew up playing soccer, what we call soccer, what the rest of the world calls football. Loved playing it. Was pretty darn good as a striker. Was tragic as a goalkeeper. But loved it. Just ran nonstop. And it was amazing. And I loved it. I could not hate another sport more to watch period just i don't get it makes no sense to me there you go i know the same thing is said by folks internationally often about american football what is that and your guys are soft and you wear helmets and blah 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 again don't get it um for us here oval's just part of our culture it's part of our motoring culture from the earliest earliest days and so for us, it's just embedded as something that not all of us, of course, right? There's some folks who just found out about IndyCar racing this year, just started liking it, maybe just started listening to this podcast and have no history with ovals and maybe feel the same way. I don't, you know, road and street course racing, that's the prevalent thing in the world. This weird going around in circles thing, eh, I don't know. Maybe they'll get it in time. We'll just share another straight point. Growing up in Northern California, where there was once a very rich uh, oval racing history, and I'm not talking dirt and kind of Saturday night short track racing. I mean actual, you know, board tracks back in the day and, and you know, that bigger racing series draw type deal. But 
I grew up around road racing and road racing only. I mean, it, it just, their ovals were not a thing other than the Indy 500, which I grew to learn the importance of, but I had no great appreciation for ovals until I, until I started going to them as a young mechanic, uh, USF 2000, uh, sports 2000s, and you name it, Atlantics, Indy Lights going to ovals and started to appreciate the discipline required. And as a driver, from an engineering standpoint, wow, this is mind-bending. Where road and street courses have always made sense to me uh, in the couple of years, limited time that I spent racing a Formula Ford, only ever did road races. And while I'm not saying I was great at it, there was nothing about it that stood out as abstract or hard to grasp. In the brief number of laps I've been able to turn around an oval, I, it, it befuddles me. There's a patience required and a feel required and an intuitiveness that's required lap after lap after lap as whether it's tire degradation becomes a thing or fuel load changes and therefore uh, weight distribution of the car changes. Uh, just, yeah, uh, ovals, me not fully get that doesn't compute with my brain from a ease standpoint. And so the full appreciation of like, oh, wow, for those who we would consider to be elite oval racers, could be NASCAR, could be short track, sprint stuff, could be IndyCar, whatever. That's a real skill that I would say uh, takes time to develop. And we've seen that over and over and over again in IndyCar as very talented driver X comes in from wherever and they don't necessarily get it. They don't necessarily adapt right away and need multiple years to get it. Willpower comes to mind as someone who truly was open about saying, okay, uh, <laughs> I need more help. I'm not sure I'm going to get all the way there without it. And that impresses me. That tells me, Andreas, that, hey, when someone who many of us would regard as one of the best of his generation, not the best, but one of in that group, when someone like a Will Power who's gone on to win the Indy 500 and win more ovals, etc., says, like, yeah, this thing screwed my head, and it took me a while and some serious help from Rick Mears to get there, just say that even if growing up ovals weren't part of your life and there's no attachment to it, the expression from some of IndyCar's best in sharing their journey about how tough it was to become excellent as an oval driver after a lifetime of road and street courses might help you to understand that, yes, uh, this is a difficult thing. And in a series that prides itself in being multidiscipline with some of our greatest drivers really cherishing ovals for the complexities that exist. And again, that's the misnomer here. You go, wait, you're going in a circle. Complex? What are you talking about? They'll all tell you for the majority of the tracks that we go to that are ovals. Oh, boy. 
very unique, very different challenges. If you only have a handful of ovals to go to in what we pride as being a multidiscipline series, I mean, I'm glad that we go to Gateway. Very, very glad, obviously, um, that we go to Texas. Glad that we go to Indianapolis. <sighs> when you are talking about four oval races at three tracks on the calendar, I just would say IndyCar is falling away from its core tenet, core premise, as a true multidiscipline series. Now you could say, well, hey, Pruitt, you idiot. We go to roads, we go to streets, and we go to ovals, so isn't that multi? Yes, it is. It's just when things are tilted so heavily in any one direction, it's hard to make that full claim. Uh, It's really hard to say, yes, we pit our drivers against the toughest challenges out there. We lack a one-mile oval. We lack a flat oval. Uh, We lack... We lack some things. So, again, I'm just hoping I'd love to see if we could add one to two more ovals. I think that just ends up with the right balance. So we're never going to go back. I shouldn't say never. It's doubtful we're ever going to go back to the day where it seems like street races were popping up everywhere at all times. It's amazing that Nashville has become a new one to go to. But if you consider St. Pete, well-established now for decades. You think about Long Beach, which is really the originator and and gold standard that we have here. Belle Isle and Detroit's been around for, again, decades. That's been well-established. Those have been the three that have stuck. Toronto, obviously, we've lost now two years in a row. We lost it, whatever, about a decade ago. But it's been a little bit shakier, but we can only hope it's going to come back. So, okay, that gets us to four when things are working normally. Uh, Nashville coming in, that's amazing. That's truly amazing, and hopefully that thing sticks. Pile on a bunch of natural terrain road courses, then sprinkle in, hopefully, just a slight, slight uh, variation between the type of ovals that we go to. Again, just spread it out a little bit more, different sizes, different types. I think you end up in a really good place. So, It's the diversity side of circuits. It's also just the challenge. And maybe the last quick thing to throw in here, Andreas. Feels like it's been a little while since we had a a number of tracks that you could say, even if it's just a small number, but a number of tracks where you go, wow, that is going to separate things massively in terms of talent right hey uh we go here and wow this is going to expose some drivers and their deficiencies in whatever area knowing that road racing is the the base foundation that pretty much every driver we have an indycar comes from jimmy johnson being the exception ed carpenter being the exception um we go to road and street courses, 90-plus percent of the field, it's their expertise. Uh, we don't expect to see a lot of separation. Ovals, knowing that it's become less or you know, less of our calendar here, it's now 
almost not even a part of the road to Indy or just a tiny amount of the road to Indy as well. That training is, is not happening to the degree that it once did. I like the idea of dialing up the number of ovals in the hope that there is more separation and there is more expertise on display instead of, well, just everybody's good. And it's hard to, uh, to really differentiate one from the other. So I don't know if any of that resonates, but hopefully some of it makes sense. Uh, let's see. Uh, Jeremy Bullard says, do you think it would benefit Joseph Newgarden and IndyCar if he had one sponsor? Like, let's say Menards. I feel he would become more the face for just the casual fan, like Jimmy Johnson was with Lowe's or Tony Stewart with Home Depot. That's an interesting thought, Jeremy. I don't know if IndyCar is so much that way anymore. We've got a couple of exceptions. Right, Will Power's been with Verizon since he got to Penske, except for one or two races. It's been all Verizon, basically. Scott Dixon was with Target for ever and ever. Recently, that's changed, though. I don't, I don't disagree with you that consistency can only help grow a driver's popularity. Would also just say that mentioning a Johnson or a Stewart little bit of a different time and era, maybe. Uh, think about these days and how often there are sponsor changes. Even Pagano, <laughs> who you mentioned Menards. Uh, even Pagano, who is the one using Menards sponsorship, or is, I should say applied to his car. Even he has different colors throughout the year. I think it's just become more of a uh, accepted thing in IndyCar that for that approximate five to six million dollars worth of sponsorship needed per year it is somewhat rare to have a single primary sponsor allowing you to have a single primary livery like a lowe's like a whatever uh, that we've seen in years past i'd also say nascar too where you mentioned the two drivers here that where they come from like that's almost no longer a thing there at all, right? It seems like with their budgets being much bigger, uh, it's split up between a lot of sponsors throughout the season. So don't disagree with the overall premise, but I do think, Jeremy, that that time has passed for the most part. Uh, let's see. Ian Keyworth, curious when Penske, uh, uh, the last time they had such a winless season, uh, I believe 99. Uh, was the last time that happened. Uh, let's see. Uh, ben Cohen, wondering about Colton Herta's fuel probe issue. So it seems like the Andretti team has had multiple high-profile issues with refueling over the years. Rossi at Indy, Veach being on fire. Any explanation as to why that team seems to have the cartoon anvil of refueling problems? Uh, says, thanks so much. Uh, let's see. I don't know if there is a systemic issue internally. What appeared to be the issue, and I think there was another question here about what was the specific issue. I'm just having to go off of what I saw in the good old television. Don't take this as gospel, please. When inserting the fuel probe, the final kind of lock into place, the final extension of that probe in is meant to open the probe. Uh, it's not something that uh, again, again, unless I'm totally forgetting something, 
uh, is meant to be or has to be a fully manual thing. It's meant to be, again, mechanical system operating and flowing fuel once that final uh, extension and lock-in takes place. There's a lever on the side that can be manipulated as well, at least from what I seem to recall seeing while on vacation. (laughs) And there's no real option to rewind or anything else. Uh, It looked like the automated mechanical flow of fuel did not happen. And when it was realized, the refueler reached down and manually turned and opened the valve to allow fuel to flow. And so that is, again, what it appeared to be. So as for why, I can't tell you. It does feel like the Andretti team has had more than their fair share of refueling issues, probe-related issues, basically. I couldn't tell you. Uh, if it has anything to do with servicing and prep or otherwise you would, I would imagine a high quality veteran team like this has a very rigid and well adhered to process for servicing the probes, making sure they're fully functional, et cetera, et cetera. Can't tell you uh, why they seem to have had more problems than others. If indeed they have, uh, keeping in mind that not every single pit stop is recorded and filmed live for us to see and therefore keep notes. Is there a team elsewhere on the grid, an entry or a particular driver, who knows, who's just had terrible luck with this and we just haven't seen it as much? That's also entirely possible. Uh, being one of the bigger teams, not a surprise that a lot of Andretti's pit stops are captured at least among its front runners like a Colton Herta. So might be a little bit of something there giving a little bit of a, a false impression of uh, the, the number of times it's happened to them compared to others. Uh, also saw that on his next pit stop, the refueler struggled to get the probe inserted. Looked like a little bit of an angle and jammed high. So it took whatever, an extra second or two to get the probe in on that second stop with the replacement probe. As I struggled to say words, let me take a sip of water. And then Colton stalled the car as well. Uh, it was just, yeah, pit lane was not a lot of fun for them, unfortunately. Uh, let's see, where else can we go here? Uh, Mitsuki Matsura, you also asked about uh, the top cooling scoop on Rossi's car. Um wanted to know if they should make some changes. IndyCar should make some changes so it won't happen again. I always think in terms, Mitsuki, of numbers. So if you have 24 to 25 cars on track, this case it was 26, um, you have 24 cars at most events. We've seen that scoop mandated many times since it was introduced, uh, what, midway through last season? To my knowledge, this is the first time one has gone missing during a race. So if you take that number of 24 cars, multiply it by, I don't know, what, seven, eight, ten races, whatever the number is that they've been mandated, you know, whatever the number is, you're at 150 to 240-ish times they've been used in race situations. 
And to my knowledge, it fell off. Or again, I don't know if it was hit by something. I don't know what happened, but it, it's come off once to my knowledge. Uh, I would say that if we have between 150 and 240 instances of it being used and it coming off once, uh, I would say that would not be a percentage that would lead anyone to say we need to change something. If it started happening once per race uh, on whatever number of cars and it was a consistent problem, without a doubt there should be changes. But happening once, um, I would wonder if folks were really seeing the bigger picture of that uh, was the reaction to it. Uh, let's see. Where do we go? Kyle Krause. How you doing, Kyle? Struggling to remember if I've read a question from you before, so I apologize if you, if you have sent things in and I haven't remembered. Say, with Chip Ganassi selling his NASCAR operation, what are the chances Ganassi expands to a five-car team next year? Uh, maybe sponsors and partners could be convinced to come, uh, come on board. Who would be a candidate for that team? Any chance they would take on a young driver like Oliver Askew? Uh, also, how many new engine leases are available from Honda and Chevy? At some point, will we have a power unit shortage if uh, a few new teams come in and others expand, uh, like Ray Hall, Edmund Lanigan, Aaron McLaren SP, Meyer Shank, etc. Great stuff here, Kyle. Thanks for all of it. So let's start with Ganassi expanding to five. Haven't asked. Uh, a lot of you know, a lot of the stuff has happened in and around the time we were heading out to uh, turn our brains off. So. A question that I still need to ask, so hopefully you'll get that answer in written form or similar. I don't know if they'd want to go to five. I know that they do indeed like being at four. Big question here, which is part of your your second item, is funding. Uh, If we think about the sponsors that have been part of Chip's Cup team, and I'm talking the primary ones or the consistent ones, struggling to think of any or many that have made real crossovers, significant crossovers to IndyCar. I know, you know, we might have seen a Cessna uh, for a race or two here or there in the past, but I'm talking real like, and the new primary or co-primary on such and such as IndyCar is one of Chip's Cup sponsors. Struggling to recall that being a thing. So I'd say, knowing that his cup sponsors have been in NASCAR for a reason instead of being in IndyCar, would I try and sell them on an IndyCar program? Of course. Would I also know that, eh, in theory, they've had more than uh, enough time and opportunities to do that with Chip, and they have not? That might be another thing to take home. Uh, that they're in NASCAR because that's where they want to be and feel that they're going to get the best return on investment. So hope for sure Chip and company do a great job of pitching their cup sponsors to uh, stay in some capacity and play an IndyCar. Not sure if that would happen, though. Um, As for who would they take on, young driver, etc., even better question just because I don't have a, a fine, fine answer for you. If I'm, if I'm looking at history, I realize that they did something a little bit different in hiring Alex Pillow with one year of experience 
turned out to be a gem, right? He's doing great things for them, but that's just not a big Chip Ganassi racing modern-day story. Uh, he slash they had some not great experiences in terms of hiring brand new to the sport or almost brand new to the sport type drivers. What back in 2000, I believe it was, there's a bit of a not so happy thing there, but for the most part, that just hasn't been a big part of their history for a good long while. So where Alex was surprising roll of the dice, knowing that while there was potential there, very little that was truly proven at the time of his signing. I also think there was just it was a perfect alignment of need versus availability. Uh, with Felix choosing to leave and go to Aero McLaren SP, with NTT's relationship being discussed about what they would do going forward, needing someone to continue the program with, I think that there was pretty swift uh, deal done to make sure that someone wasn't going to cost them a lot, uh, would be able to come in and kind of keep things warmed over, not knowing what they were going to get, but at least thinking like, hey, the kid's shown well in his rookie year with Coin. Don't know how much more there is, but we don't think it's going to be a bad signing. We're probably not putting any real weight of expectations on this signing, though. Absolutely shattered all expectations. Turned out to be the steal of the freaking century in terms of driver signings just share all that because i don't know if i see them doing that twice in a fifth car do i think oliver askew is a question mark no i don't i'm just talking about what i think the team would see in their perception my guess is if they're going to have money from a name the cup sponsor or who knows to go and hire a driver of their choosing. I'm thinking it might be with someone with a either higher profile than an Oliver or potential pedigree. Could uh, Romain Groschon be available? Who knows? Again, everything I've heard suggests he might be calling Andretti Autosport home. But uh, I would say the, the bigger picture would probably include the Ganassi team looking around and finding someone with recent and considerable mileage and pedigree wherever wherever it might be found. I know that's a little bit of a generalism there, but is it someone, is it an open wheeler who has, you know, out of lack of opportunities, been forced to ply their trade in sports cars? Right? Could a... Felipe Nazar, get a nod. I'd hope so. The guy's freaking amazingly good. Would they look to knowing that Kevin Magnuson is signed to Peugeot full-time next year? Not an option for IndyCar, from what I'm told. Would they look and say, hey, is there a Formula E driver? Probably not going to be able to pay you as much, but is there a Formula E driver recently out of Formula 1 who we think could be similar to Kevin? Are there some F1 drivers who are sidelined a little bit? I don't know. We know, just overstating the obvious as well, there's some current and F1, ex-F1 drivers or on the fringe F1 drivers 
who said, yeah, I don't know about IndyCar, or yeah, maybe, but not the ovals, or no altogether. So not everyone who's out of F1 is looking to IndyCar in the same way Romain has. Uh, But I think Romain has definitely changed some folks' opinions about what they might find here. Beyond that, just saying, I realize that some of the options that might be out there would be new to IndyCar, lots to learn, etc. But the driver itself stands out as someone that might be intriguing to uh, to a Chip Ganassi to try. I think that type of driver has a better likelihood of being selected for a fifth entry if it were to happen than, unfortunately, someone like Oliver, who I think would be amazing. Uh, in such an opportunity, but might not have that kind of star caliber awe factor that I know sometimes can accompany uh, or oftentimes can accompany Chip's uh, decision-making when it comes to his paid IndyCar drivers. All right, where do we go here? I'm going to start ramping down just a little bit. Thanks again, Kyle, for sending that in. Uh, where else would we go? Stitch Turner, you send in one of those. Would you rather fight a this size this or that size that? And I, I, I never understand those things. Uh, would you rather fight one willpower sized house cat or ten house cat sized willpowers? I never understand those. Um, uh, let's see. Where should we go here? Uh, Brian Burrell uh, says, I believe. During the NBC broadcast, they mentioned that Chip may take some of his money from the uh, NASCAR sale and use it to run Kevin Magnuson and IndyCar next year. Is that realistic? Um, I don't know if I heard that part, Brian. Not saying it wasn't spoken. I just don't know if I recall hearing that. Um, as I understand, there was a window to have Kevin Magnuson as an IndyCar driver next year. And I don't, I'm not talking specific to any one team, but I believe there was a window of opportunity for him. I've mentioned this on the show before for him to be a full time IndyCar driver next year and not do uh, the WEC, basically get out of that contract. Uh, everything I know is that window closed months ago. Uh, he has been doing simulator work with Peugeot, he's there on the payroll, taking money. I mean, taking money in a bad way. I'm just saying, you know, uh, you got to show up to get the job. He's shown up and is doing the job and taking home some money from it. So it would appear that whatever thoughts of Chip taking money to run Kevin next year, uh, whomever might have said that uh, might just be a throw. I would put that down to a throwaway line compared to someone actually saying something they know anything about. So if I end up being proven wrong, I'd love it. I'd love to have Kevin here. He's, he's a cool dude and a talented guy, but um, yeah, there was an effort. It did not pan out. He's now well plugged into Peugeot's preparation for hypercar. Uh, let's see. Uh, you also wondered, could Chip maybe even take some of that money and start a lights team? If there's money to be made, uh, Chip does nothing for fun. He, racing is his business. He has no, uh, there's nothing else that he does 
um, to support himself, family, and otherwise. Racing is his business. So giving things away, paying out of his pocket to do stuff, not a chance. So him taking money from the sale of a team and burning it to run a driver, whether it's Magnuson or Indy Lights folks and such, it just comes as a total shock if he were to do that because it's just not really how he's wired. I don't mean he's not wired to help people. He does help. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying, hey, let me burn half a million or a million or whatever just for the sake of it. Uh, Unless it's necessary to keep the team afloat, uh, I've not known known Chip to do that. So if someone were to say, hi, Mr. Ganassi, could you please run my kid in Indy Lights? And it would be a thing that you profit from doing. And that driver might move up to IndyCar with you, and we could potentially have sponsors or our own money, family money, to support that. Those things, you'd be silly to turn away from them. But other than that, couldn't see it happening, Brian. Uh, Where do we go here? Cody Oakwood. How you doing, pal? Uh, You're asking about adding ovals. Is adding races or an engine partner more important? immediate or even long-term need for IndyCar, uh, engine manufacturer, 1,000% the more important thing. I know that I just mentioned in Andreas' uh, question about the history and importance of ovals, but uh, IndyCar gets bigger. IndyCar has more fans. IndyCar becomes more of a household name, which it has really not been for a long time, as more engine manufacturers join in. More engine manufacturers spend money on sizable marketing campaigns, uh, promotional campaigns, and IndyCar gets bigger and better with more manufacturers involved. And uh, Roger Penske, you know, just shared the same exact thing in our interview in the story we did. I think when did I interview him? A um, week and a half ago, two weeks, something like that. All those stories that went up on Racer earlier in the week, I filed those before I went on vacation. It's kind of a, here's something to keep things ticking over from me while I'm away. So at least from uh, his recognition as well, making engines available to teams, that's good, that's great. Chevy and Honda would be so thankful if there was a third involved to ease the burden on them. But yeah, big picture, IndyCar does not have enough large-scale businesses involved with the series helping to promote it and spread its awareness to then hopefully therefore attract more viewers and ticket buyers so it's nothing critical or negative against those that are here oh my goodness we're so thankful for them seriously from firestone to chevy to honda to ntt data to gainbridge to right there just aren't enough of those big-ish entities doing that. You need to add more in their marketing budgets to have the real chance of growing. And so that's why ovals, going to more ovals, will be amazing. It's not going to drastically change things for the series. Uh, so, yeah, big partners, they are the ones that make the change. Uh, let's see... Uh, our pal Jeremiah Morrell, Oval Talk. If we're ranking the most likely to be on the 2022 or 23 calendar, which ones do we go with? You mentioned Iowa, Richmond, Milwaukee, Kentucky, and Rockingham, North Carolina. 
not the land, not the one from the land of Jack Harvey. Well, yeah, uh, not Milwaukee. Would love that. Richmond, I, I gotta believe that can be resuscitated. Uh, beyond that, I don't know. Maybe Kentucky. Um, these are all dreams and hope. Uh, but I don't know if anything beyond a Richmond or Iowa jumps out. There's the hope Roger's been talking about for a little while of getting Iowa back. Richmond, though, seems like one that potentially could be rekindled. Beyond that, it's just dumb hopes. And I'm full of dumb hopes. Uh, last couple here. Stephen Killstonk. How you doing, Stephen? I think it's been a little while since I've read one of yours. It looks like the cartoon anvils landed on their favorite victims of 2021. Um, turn one, uh, you said lap one, uh, those being Felix Rosenquist, Ryan Hunter Ray, James Hinchcliffe. Maybe Roger Work needs to drop a new sticker design. Um, he says, edit, I'm probably too late, but uh, how about a Mr. Yuck anti-anvil pest repellent label? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I invested my full faith and belief that cartoon anvil protection stickers would somehow ward off those darned Acme products. But, yeah, uh, I don't know. Is it cheeky of me to say buy more <laughs> from uh, marshallpruittpodcast.com and our lovely new merchandise page? I don't know. They're meant to be fun and maybe slightly trivialize something that the drivers on the bad end of the things happening uh don't necessarily feel are trivial. I know, Stephen. Watching the race, I'm just like, seriously? Ser and then, to cap it off, Ed Jones. Like, truly, the the four drivers who've had the worstest season. Uh, and, of course, they all four are clobbered uh, within the first two starts. Yeah, I, I don't know. As I say far too often... On social media, the uh, the cartoon anvil is a real bleep. So, yeah, there's that. Uh, JJ Gertler, let's see. You know, I'm going to get to your... Yeah, I'm going to get to yours right now, JJ. going to be one of the last ones that we take here. And by we, I mean me. I keep doing that. I'm ever going to fix that? I don't think so. JJ says, Marshall, since we're all drawing up our silly season charts of empty seats and potential drivers, have you heard anything about how strongly Takuma Sato plans to be back in the 30 car next year? Also... Uh, understanding that K-Line is writing the checks for Dalton Kellett, do you know whether that's a year-by-year -year deal or if they have something locked in for next season? Um, it says, with a number of seats already known available and the long list of talent, it's looking like an epic off-season. Well, uh, I agree on the latter part for sure. Let's work from the bottom here. Uh, K-Line, uh, the K in K-Line, well, that stands for Kellett. Uh, that is the Kellett family business, uh, power cables and, and whatnot, uh, in Canada, uh, in the greater Toronto area, I believe. So that is indeed the successful family business that has supported, uh, Dalton's career to date. So, uh, they are good people, supportive of their son, clearly successful in business and are able to, uh, make his IndyCar dreams happen, which is awesome. Dalton also from Dalton being there, that certainly helps the rest of the Foyt team and helps a certain French fry who we're fond of to be there and all kinds of good stuff. So 
while I don't know if there is a plan for Dalton to continue, not continue, for the Foyt team to continue with him, not continue with him, I can only say that I know that he is important to them. Bringing in a Jer Hildebrand to help coach Dalton here recently, that's the sign of something you do when you're trying to improve for the future. So that would suggest to me that there are plans to uh, hopefully continue. So I know that there are some who don't like Dalton. As you've heard me say on the podcast many, many times, I'm not one of those people. Thoroughly like the kid have from the moment I met him uh, in his road to Indy days. And, hey, he was up to 16th at one point at Mid-Ohio. I made a little note, and uh, good on him. So, you know, not every driver is meant to be a star in IndyCar. It doesn't mean they're bad. doesn't mean they should go away as long as they don't hamper others and can live their best IndyCar lives in whatever cluster of drivers they're in and around. Um I got nothing bad to say here. And again, to my knowledge, Dalton has not been a nuisance and therefore I'm happy for him. Uh, as for Takuma, great question. Yet another thing you need to ask once I get back on the uh, non-vacation horse here. Uh, what else? I think that's about it from uh, you, my friend. Uh, let me scroll down here. Uh, Stephen Dutton, how you doing, Stephen? Yeah, I don't know if I've read one of your questions. If not, uh, if this is your first, thanks for sending it in. If not, I apologize for being dumb. So I was watching some Indy Lights highlights and was wondering why Indy Lights uses the Halo and not the full arrow screen. I would say cost is the main thing, Stephen. Also, the arrow screen is custom design, only used in IndyCar. If you're talking about the Halo. It's not as if you go to Iwantahalo.com and just order them off the shelf, but that Halo design has become pretty fairly prevalent in a lot of open-wheel racing. So I would say in terms of something that is well-known and easier to implement, also cheaper to implement uh, in a smaller category, road to indie level, makes sense to me with the budget's that we know it requires to do uh, Indy Lights, for example, for them to go with the Halo. Uh, faster to implement, cheaper to implement, and there you go. As for whether there might be a bigger plan to have a, a universal aero screen that could fit all future road to Indy models, um, I'd have to think that's something they would be looking at seriously for the old future. Uh, our pal Jim Kaiser is taking the week off, sent in a little bit of haiku here. Uh, Pelot is leading, but someone is there lurking. Joseph Newgarden. Look at that. Uh, what's the last one that I wanted to uh, wanted to get to here? Oh, hey, we're going to close the show. Um, are we going to close the show? We're going to do two more. How's that? Uh, Brian Dywert, and I don't know if it's Dywert or Dewert. I think you might have sent me a note however long ago telling me how to pronounce your last name, and I've forgotten. Uh, it says, last week on both uh, the Weekend IndyCar and Weekend Sports Cars, you talked about some of our elder IndyCar drivers likely going to sports cars fairly soon. You ask, is sports car racing easier than IndyCar? Does a driver's skills or physical qualities degrade in their late 30s and 40s where they're not viable as a driver in IndyCar? says, I grew up watching AJ and Mario drive forever, and honestly, if you gave Mario a current car, 
I suspect uh, he'll finish in the top half. Um, you also mentioned, I figure with all the safety improvements over the years, drivers don't get banged up as bad as they did in the 70s, 80s, and 90s and could drive longer. So thanks in advance for the answers. You're welcome, Brian. Yeah, a couple of good things here. So would say from a physical standpoint, we certainly do have drivers in far better shape than we did back in the day. Uh, better lifestyles, <laughs> more training, healthier eating. So high-quality, long-term careers are now a uh, become an accepted thing. A lot of drivers in, at, or over 40 who are all still top of their game or within a fraction of a percent of their peak. Uh, definitely down to just modern lifestyle and all the things that today's drivers do that those back in the day did not. There's a mileage thing, which is really interesting, that's been brought up to me more than once, of, hey, you know, we used to do, on top of 15 to 20 IndyCar races a year, whatever the number was, uh, we also had unlimited testing. And so you'd pile on on top of all those race days, a real month of May, where, again, weeks and weeks of being there and all that kind of stuff. Um, You'd also have... 50 days 60 days of testing just the sheer in the car ovals and this is and that's and just constantly so many miles beating yourself up always in the car always kind of in half a state of exhaustion that hasn't been the deal for a while now especially since this current delara showed up uh testing's been cut way the heck down in general uh, IndyCar drivers of the modern era are, let's call it the lowest mileage of probably any era. So a driver who's 42 might not be, you know, the check engine light isn't necessarily on today the way it would have been 20 years ago for a driver at 42 years old. So there's that to consider. One other thing to keep in mind, it's in the physical realm. And for some drivers, I know that they just start to grow tired of it. It's, hey, these Indy cars, you know, we had a slight reduction, you know, 1,000 pounds or so of downforce in 2018, but these are still crazy high grip, crazy high downforce cars with no power steering. And you have to train like mad. You need, need muscle mass muscle endurance like crazy like these are brutal machines to sign up and drive for a full season year after year after year you talk to your average indycar driver who's also moonlighting in imsa maybe it's an alexander rossi a bordet a dixon who are doing you know uh, endurance events as the third driver or whatever at daytona at sebring at wherever else and look you know, those cars will beat them up. The, those DPIs are really fast and really all kinds of stuff. Crazy, amazing, awesome. They also have power steering. They also have a lot of electronics. Um, get out of the car tired for sure, but it's not the same level of exhaustion. And so that's another thing of, do I want to keep training like I'm going to be in the Mr. Universe contest to be an IndyCar driver at 42, 43, 45, 46? Or not everybody's a Tony Kanon who's just insane in that regards. Or might I want to dial it down just a little bit and enjoy a slightly less rigorous routine in sports cars? 
probably the the main item I would throw out here uh, in terms of the appeal of transitioning from IndyCar to sports cars is the schedule. If we assume that most of the drivers uh, that would be considering such a thing, you know, going to have a family probably, probably have a child or two or whatever number. Think about a busy IndyCar season with 17 races. And again, I know there's not a ton of testing, but throw in some of that testing as well. And, you know, the, the year gets ramping up in January, maybe February. You're going to be going until September at least. You're going to be getting back on the testing trail probably October, November. Not a ton of downtime. But there's still a lot of races to do. And you throw in all the the physical toll that I mentioned, all the travel that goes along with that 17-ish or plus race calendar. Then you swap that out and say, hey, any interest in going and doing IMSA for a season uh, or however many seasons? Let's go do DPI. And you go, oh, that's awesome. Cannot wait to go do me some DPI or who knows, maybe even GT if that's a driver's particular interest. Well, you have Daytona Sebring, Mid-Ohio. I'm just using this year's schedule. Uh, You have Detroit. That's four races spread across the first, what, five, six months of the year. Then go to Watkins Glen, Elkhart Lake, Laguna, Long Beach, and Petit Le Mans. Uh, You add those up. You're not doing a ton of events, right? You're doing about 10 a year, and who knows what IMSA will do. 10, 12 is about the maximum you're going to have. That's a not too unsavory reduction in the pacing as well. Uh, Things tend to get busy during the summer with every racing series just about, but you start thinking about that. You've been doing this IndyCar thing for a long time. Got a family, got kids. You're having to train constantly. It's a lot of travel. It's a lot of media obligations. It's a lot of going to the simulator. There's just, it's just a lot. Not saying sports car racing at the highest level and high, you know, highest classes are lame, slow, half-assed or anything like that. It's just a, pretty significant reduction in pacing though so between the hey you're going to do 10 ish dpi races per year they're going to be spread out now granted the season starts early in january but hey we don't get back to racing until march so there's a nice break there uh we're going to go to mid ohio you know month or so later uh you then get it five six weeks off until we go to uh detroit uh Things will pick up a little bit pacing-wise with uh, Watkins Glen and Road America and such. Then a little bit of a pause to uh, Laguna and blah, blah, blah. It's just friendly. It really is. So put it all together. Driver that's done a lot of years in IndyCar, fast pace, arduous, physically taxing, even if these are lower-mile drivers than uh, their predecessors. It's still just constant busyness with everything else involved uh, at the shop, uh, simulator days, track testing days, media obligations flying here and there, blah, blah, blah. Cruise into an IMSA career to close things 
out wind things down all of a sudden you're home a lot more you're a lot more of a dad husband uh spouse whatever it is it's just a friendlier switch with a less demanding taxation on one's body and mind and everything else so that's why sports cars have long been the playground of open wheel drivers who hopefully towards into their open wheel career upon their choosing brian uh they go do the sporty car thing uh why don't we close the show with our pal john wojnar if i'd remembered correctly in my my head movies john i would have uh thrown this towards the front says hey mp uh what's the story on tatiana calderon in the Foyt test is it too soon to stock up on a calderon merchandise so it seems like she had an amazing test day at mid ohio Great, awesome question, John. Of course, I would expect nothing less than uh, the informal ringleader of the Prude group. Reached out to our man, J to the R, the Jer Ewing of Seattle, also known as Jer Hildebrand. There's no association to us, Seattle, but hey, uh, from one of my favorite hip-hop songs of the 1980s. Said, hey, my man, how'd it go? Uh, he said, well, very well. He was impressed by her. A couple of caveats to throw in here. And so none of these are meant to take away from her. This is just in the truth and accuracy uh, category. It's not uncommon. It's actually very common for there to be a post-Mid-Ohio race test. Team or two will stay over. If it's not the next day on Monday, maybe the following day and Tuesday. But it is not uncommon for teams to stay over and conduct a test. We've seen that happen, right? Uh, Alex Polo, I think, uh, was part of that. Uh, Felipe Nazar, I think, was one of those to do it. Uh, it. It's not an uncommon thing. I mention that because there's a dynamic that comes from it that makes things a little bit hard to read, and that is, hi, there's just 24-plus IndyCars uh, with Firestone rubber just burying that rubber into the ground over 70, 75, 80 laps on Sunday. And whomever is going to test right after the race is going to be driving on the Lord's Velcro. It's just coated the track and grip. So as a result, uh, those who do get to do that post mid Ohio race test outing, tend to look pretty darn good and be really happy. And everyone tends to be in like, wow, look at that. It didn't take too long to get up to speed. You really seem to know what you were doing. You didn't, you know, throw the car off the track or whatever else, but it's the most favorable conditions you could put a driver out on. Now that has nothing to do with Tatiana's talent. There's nothing to do with that at all. It just, it makes it a little bit hard to draw a direct comparison for someone in their very first outing because with all that grip available it can give it should give a false read of where someone is truly at on their first day from what i was told her best lap was slightly faster than dalton's best uh, I think during that opening session on Friday, again, where there would have been no real rubber put down. Uh, so 
that at least tells you that for someone who is clearly talented, that in her first outing in an Indy car, she was capable of matching Dalton, at least for what Dalton was able to do in the first session on Friday. JR also said, hey, you know, it was clear that there's some areas where she had enough to learn, but not enough time to learn it. Kind of another normal thing you would expect to say for someone in their first day in the car. Um, JR definitely said, was really impressed with her uh, feedback, also with her ability to uh, take input and then go apply it, right? Every driver gets input from a variety of sources, not all of them, from champions down to, you know, uh, first-day rookies. Take that advice and then go out and make use of it to their benefit. He said she absolutely did, was like a sponge. So JR is not a, he's not a false praise guy. Um, He's not someone who's going to blow smoke in any direction. And he seemed impressed with what she was able to do on a single day where it was a little bit hard to get a read for her true pace because it's again it's 100% favorable track conditions um but altogether uh he seemed to think that there was something there that was worth developing and I hope that they do uh boy uh well boy <laughs> I don't mind covering the boys. There's always a lot of boys in IndyCar. Uh, it's just a little bit more fun when it's not just all the same type of person. So would love to have Tatiana uh, and Alice Powell, Jamie Chadwick, and so on, some of the talented women working their way up the open-wheel ladder. Man, I just so thankful that the team sponsor Rocket, Rocket, whatever, however you pronounce it, I don't even know what they do. I got to totally acknowledge i have no clue i think i do scooters phones i don't know um glad that she obviously has a link to the team through uh, the sponsor of the 14 car uh, i know also some folks have asked so uh does this are they testing sebastian's replacement uh i haven't spoken with seb but for some others who have asked yeah there's this wasn't a uh tryout to take over the 14 i, I don't think there's any real concern from what I'm told about who's going to remain in that car going forward. But it sounds like there's something cool here that can hopefully be developed. I don't have any insight as to whether it will, but uh, boy, wouldn't it be awesome if the Foyt team could maybe add a third car, uh, assuming this year's lineup will remain. Wouldn't it be awesome if Rocket, Rocket, whatever sells more, whatever they sell, so that she could come and learn and develop? I know she's been on the open wheel ladder for a little while. I don't know if she needs a year in Indy Lights. Obviously, she has some road to Indy background a while ago, but I don't know if she needs lights or if she could come in just as a rookie straight into IndyCar. But either way, I love the idea that someone, uh, this Foyt team, is looking at a talented woman, uh, at least with a test. Why aren't more IndyCar teams reaching out to the Jamie's analysis and so on? I don't know. Um, it's yet another thing that uh, makes me scratch my head a little bit. I think we've gotten to a point where we can kind of get rid of that stigma of women, talent, are they capable, are they this, blah, blah, blah. 
just hasn't been a lot of action behind that to really truly invest or evaluate next generation women driving in IndyCar. So don't want to put too much on this, John, and say, ah, this was the floodgates will now open and uh, every IndyCar team is going to be testing a talented young woman. I can at least say that the feedback from a guy that I respect like Matt and JR, um, he would have, if there was negative stuff to mention, he would have mentioned it. He had no negatives to mention. So hopefully, maybe this will become the start of a good thing. All right, y'all. Thank you as always. Uh, do appreciate you, the questions you send in. I didn't get to all 44 or whatever, but hopefully I got to enough to make this uh, somewhat uh, weird, compact Marshall Pruitt podcast, Facebook page only question episode uh, worth listening through here. Um, speak to you next week. If you get a chance, check out the merchandise page, hopefully on marshallpruittpodcast.com. And other than that, huge thank you to torontomotorsports.com. Thanks for all that they do in helping to connect all of you to the sport and to this silly little show. Definite huge appreciation for Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. There's just a, a big old, big old heart pounding away uh, from them. Loving IndyCar, loving you all and appreciating you all. And so thankful for their support. I'll speak to y'all next week with, I don't know who, as our uh, featured guest as we're taking this week off and having a guest because it's supposed to